0: There are two readings this morning, both of them from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We start at verses 1 to 4. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who, from the first, were eyewitnesses, and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And then picking up at verse 26. You who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her.
1: Wow. Thank you so much, Chris, uh, for reading for us. Uh, We're actually going to be looking mostly at the first part of that, but we will touch on that wonderful second uh, reading and uh, the things that happened there. Um, Friends, before I look at that, you'll notice in your leaflet there is a reading plan for Luke as well. I forgot to mention that. I'll just mention it briefly now. Uh, that will get you through the entire of Luke's Gospel this term uh, between now and Easter. I want to encourage us as a church family to take that on. There's five readings a week. Um, uh, we are, as I said before, we're, Luke is a very long Gospel. We're not looking at every passage on Sundays, but it will really enhance your uh, what you get out of this. If you take that on board, five readings each week uh, to read through Luke's Gospel this term. Okay, well we are inviting you to meet Jesus between now and Easter and a bit afterwards. Uh, As we kind of, uh, as Naomi said, we do that every week, (laughs) Uh, that's what we're about, Uh, but that's that's what we're focusing on this term, we've called this series. Many of us have met Jesus and have had our lives changed by him. Uh, uh, This term, as we do this, it's a chance for you to meet him in a fresh way, um, to go deeper in your relationship with him. Uh, Some of us will only know Jesus from a distance, though. Some might not know much of him at all. Uh, Our hope for you is to meet Jesus for the first time. Uh, Not not just to know things about him, but to meet him in a real and personal way. But the question we're going to open up thinking about today is, which Jesus will you be meeting? Which Jesus? Uh, Jesus is the most written and talked about person in history, And it's easy to feel that, I don't know if you feel this, it's easy to feel that there's sort of all different versions of Jesus floating around out there. It's not uncommon to hear people say, well, I like to think about Jesus like fill in the blank, or I really don't like to think about Jesus like that. I prefer this Jesus. So I wonder if some of these versions of Jesus are familiar to you. The guru Jesus, the wise enlightened teacher who sort of floats above the ground dispensing wise sayings, help you to live your best life. Uh, maybe political Jesus, um, either side of the spectrum. Jesus is someone who's mainly interested in this world, in its politics, in rallying people to a social cause. Uh, maybe there's, maybe you've heard, there's warm hugs, Jesus. Um, Jesus is my bestie, who approves every decision I make without reservation, so long as it makes me happy. Um, or maybe you've heard of tough legalist Jesus, he loves black and white rules and could probably take you down in a fight. <clears throat> I mean, you could go on, right? You could go on and on. The problem is the moment you say, I like to think about Jesus like this, you, you, you just end up going down a road where you shape Jesus in your own image. He just becomes a projection of what you already think and feel. He loses any capacity to shock you, to confront you, to change you, and you miss out on the real Jesus. But friends, the good news is that you don't have to just make things up. There is a way for you to know the real Jesus. The whole Bible is God's book about Jesus, but in particular, the four biographies of Jesus, the four Gospels in the Bible are the place to start if you want to meet the real Jesus that's what we're doing this term in one of those Gospels, Luke's Gospel. That's what we're doing. It really matters that you meet the real Jesus. It really, like it really matters. Uh, one of the highlights of our um, uh, long service leave trip uh, last year was re- we re- I read The Adventures of Robin Hood, In England, which was pretty cool, and got to visit Sherwood Forest and imagine, you know, run around imagining Robin and Marion and little John fighting off the Sheriff of Nottingham. Um, But I was a bit deflated when I listened to a history podcast uh, and learned that I found out that there's actually really not much evidence that there was, that Robin and his merry band ever existed. Um, (laughs) Sorry to disappoint you. Um, but, that, I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't really matter too much, does it? Um, it's, it's a great story, and it doesn't make any real impact on your life, whether it's historically true or not. Maybe You might think, oh, it'd be nice if it was, but it's a, really, it's a cool story. It's not the same with Jesus. It, it's not the same with Jesus, because there's far too much at stake with him. It matters, it matters to meet the real Jesus because what Jesus offers you is so overwhelmingly wonderful. And what he asks of you is so all-encompassing that if he's not real, you would be a fool to follow him. When you meet Jesus, really meet him and come to trust him, what he offers you is amazing, Uh, Maybe you've had a glimpse of that if you've been with us. Uh, I've certainly have, and I know numbers of us have over the last few weeks. We've thought about our identity as Christians. To know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of your creator God, created by the God of the universe, to know that you are fully known, inside and out, completely, and at the same time truly and eternally loved, to bet your life on that, to rest in that, to hold on to it, even when your feelings or your circumstances tell you otherwise. Or at the same time, to make really hard decisions because of Jesus, to seriously repent of your sin, Uh, to commit yourself to your church family week in, week out, to say no to other things you'd like, to live sacrificially for Jesus. None of that makes sense. If Jesus is not real, if he's just Robin Hood. But if he is real, if he is real, oh, suddenly the world is charged with the glory of God. Your life becomes secure, anchored in something eternal and real. You can joyfully give himself, yourself for him, Because he really gave himself for you. An idea won't do that. A fable won't do that. The good news of Jesus is not that the tale of his life can give you some inspiration for your day, it's not that his teaching can give you some abstract principles for living a successful life. The good news of Jesus is good news, not good advice. It's good news because Jesus is historical. It's news about something that really happens. And that is why it's such good news, because it really happened, because of the real Jesus. Listen to how Luke introduces us to this real Jesus as he opens his gospel. Luke 1, verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us, by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. See what he says there? Luke's saying many people, have been, many people have been talking about Jesus. Many people have been writing about Jesus. And the key thing to notice here is that this was all in the time of the eyewitnesses of Jesus, like the people who were actually there and saw him. Um, so the, the Robin Hood story I read last year was by a guy called Roger Lancelin Green, as uh, a good author, but written in 1956, so about 800 years after the events that he's writing about, the, the, the supposed events that probably aren't actually real, sadly. Um, uh, yeah, I would love it if, you know, it was a real Robin Hood. But, um, but 800 years later, right, that's when he was, he was writing his story. But Luke's Gospel is written down most likely about 30 years after the events in the 60s AD. And here's the key thing, while the eyewitnesses were still living. Now, I, did a, I sort of Googled what was happening 30 years ago. Paul Keating was Prime Minister. Blue Heelers premiered for the first time. The West Coast Eagles won the AFL Grand Final. Nelson Mandela was elected President of South Africa. Uh, Forrest Gump and the Lion King were in cinemas. Schindler's List won the Best Picture. Amazon was an internet startup, and the PlayStation video game was released. Okay, And I I kind of rattle off those things, and a lot of us here, not those who are a little younger, but a lot of us here are kind of nodding our heads. You remember them, right? And if someone started to mess with the facts, especially if it was something you were really invested in and had a lot of personal information about, if someone said, no, 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 Geelong won that year, you could say, no, listen, <laughs> I was there. I saw it. I went, I went with a whole group of friends. You go and talk to them. And that's something the New Testament actually talks a lot about, again and again, about the, when it comes to the real Jesus, that whole thing. So John, one of Jesus' apostles and uh, close friends, begins his first letter like this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Or Peter, another disciple of Jesus, leader in the early church, wrote this, 2 Peter 1, verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So back to Luke 1. Luke says all these eyewitnesses have handed down their accounts to us, to, to Luke. And they've, they've passed down the, st- the stories about Jesus, not as fairy tales, but as accounts of real events, real things that happened, eyewitness accounts. They've written and they've written about them too. But notice how Luke describes those events, these things that have been witnessed. Why would people go to so much trouble to do this, to hand down these eyewitness accounts about Jesus? Why would people be talking about Jesus, passing on the stories about him? It's not just because he was a really impressive guy. It's not just because he came and did and said things that were amazing there's more going on. Do you see what Luke says in Luke, Luke 1, verse 1? Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. He doesn't say the things that happened among us, which is maybe what you might expect him to say if he's just, uh, if he's just recording some events, some stuff that happened that was interesting. No, no, no. He says something very different. It's actually really important. The things that have been fulfilled among us. The reason why the real Jesus is so captivating and why it is so important, it was so important to those first eyewitnesses to pass on their witness about Jesus, it wasn't just because he was an interesting historical figure. There were plenty of interesting historical figures around then. It was because he brought about a great fulfillment. And um, this is so important for Luke. He starts and he ends his gospel with this idea. So if you flick over to the last chapter, if you've got your Bibles open, it'll be on the screen too, chapter 24. Um, Jesus has died and risen to new life. He's speaking to his disciples. They're in shock. They're uh, in wonder at seeing him alive. And Luke 24, verse 44, he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. See what he's saying there? There's something much bigger going on than just one person at one place in one time. The real Jesus, what he did, impacts every person in every place through all of time. See what this, the the, the hugeness of what's being claimed there, All of history is about Jesus. He fulfills the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That's just a shorthand way of saying the entire Old Testament, that whole account of God's dealings with the world and with Israel and through them to Jesus. He fulfilled that. And this isn't saying Jesus fulfilled just sort of little parts of the Jewish scriptures either. You know, sort of there are a few places that talk about a Messiah like Isaiah 53. This is a much more comprehensive thing than that. Jesus is saying the whole thing is about me because I bring fulfillment. All of God's saving plans for his world. The Bible is, it's it's a, a, a story, a true story, the true story of God and this world. It's really important that we see that. The Bible is not primarily a set of rules for living or principles. Uh, That's what the religions of this world offer, something for you to do to make yourself right. That's not what the Bible is about. It's not what the real Jesus came for. The good news of Jesus is not, here's some things for you to do to fix yourselves up, The good news of Jesus is about what God has done to save his people. It's about his grace, not our works. And so right from the start, Luke's Gospel is showing this, this fulfilment that Jesus brought about. Um, And we heard it in that well-known passage that was read. Mary is met by this angelic being, Gabriel, who tells her that she'll give birth to Jesus. And here's this great fulfilment, verse 32. He will be great... And he'll be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will have will never end. And there's that beautiful, um, humble spirit of Mary who accepts this word, which will never fail. This word from God to her. So there's heaps in there, but let's keep thinking about this real Jesus. Uh, Seen and spoke about by many eyewitnesses, he brought about this great cosmic, eternal, personal fulfillment. And he was carefully investigated by Luke. Um, Back to Luke 1 verse 3. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So, this is the person writing this. Um, helpful to, to know something about this, this guy who wrote this down. Uh, Luke is not mentioned by name as the author of Luke's Gospel or Acts uh, in, the, in the books themselves. But the earl, from the very beginning, the earliest Christian sources are unanimous. They all talk about Luke as the author. Um, and that Luke is almost certainly the same person that Paul talks about in Colossians 4. He talks about our dear friend Luke the doctor. So you've got this guy, Luke, he's a doctor, an educated man, likely a Gentile, a non-Jewish believer in Jesus. And there's this interesting thing that happens in Acts, and we'll get to that in a little while. We're sort of going through Acts as well. Um, Acts talks about the early church. Apart part of the way through, it stops saying, they did this, they did that, they went there. And it starts saying, we did this, we did that, we went there. So it's sort of partway through, the author of Acts has joined in the crew. Um, has become one of the companions of Paul on his journeys. He's right at the heart of all that this is happening, and he's got access to all these eyewitnesses. And Acts, if you know, Acts ends kind of a bit suddenly. Paul's still alive in Rome. He's preaching about Jesus. Uh, We know from church tradition Paul was killed not too long after that. But Acts doesn't mention Paul dying at all. It doesn't talk about Paul's death. And the the most likely reason for that, I think, is that Acts and Luke were written before Paul was killed. Uh, Acts records the the story so far. There's a bit in there, but what I'm I'm getting at is um, that's why I think we can be pretty sure that Luke and Acts are written fairly early on, in the 60s AD, at the latest. Um, And Luke has carefully investigated what he's put down. Um, He was there for large parts of Acts himself, but what we read in Luke's Gospel is this careful, orderly account from the eyewitnesses. It's reliable. It's reliable test. And he's painstakingly interviewed and double-checked and written down in a particular way. He's chosen his material carefully. He had heaps to write about. He only chose these, these things and he put them in this order on purpose. Um, and all the way through, you find out that he adds things in that he doesn't really need to add in. So... Um, Flick over to chapter 3. It talks about John the Baptist. It starts like this, though. It gives all these... Great. Okay, we're back on. Um, That's just a... That was totally planned, so it gives you a little bit of a a brain sort of reset as we're coming towards the end of this uh, this sermon. But... uh uh, chapter three, this is what happens in, in chapter 3. It says, gives all these details. The 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Acheria and that place, Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John son of Zechariah in the wilderness. So, like, and, and you get things like this through Luke. You get these details. He, he drops in these details. He talks about who's in power when. He talks about, he gives names of tiny backwater villages, like a, a place called Nain that no one would know about unless there was, you know, you, he'd talk to locals. Um, he talks about, um, he's the only place in the Bible, that he talks about sycamore trees and where they are and Zacchaeus climbing up. Like he adds these details that aren't really essential to the story, but... He puts them in because he's a careful historian who's being faithful to his eyewitnesses. But notice why he's done all that. So there's a lot in there, right? Like, a kind of, you know, what, what am I going on about? Talking about all these details. Why has Luke done this? Why does he go on about this? You know, making sure that he know, you know, that what you're reading is eyewitness account. And it's reliable. It's why. Well, he's writing to this guy called Theophilus. We're not really sure who Theophilus was. It's possible he was a new Christian, possibly someone who was wealthy and high up in society, and maybe who might have commissioned Luke to write it, for instance. Luke calls him Most Excellent Theophilus, which was like a title um, given to Roman officials. So that's a possibility, but we don't really know. But whoever it is, it's clear that this isn't just meant to be read by him. Luke's writing for everyone to read this amazing fulfillment that he has put together. And the purpose, you see it there in verse 4, what's the purpose of all this? Why is he writing to Theophilus and and to everyone else who's reading this, so that you might have, you might know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So that you might know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So I just want to wrap things up by reflecting a little bit about certainty. Um, Last week, we asked the question, how can you know God's love for you? This is really a similar question. It's probably just the same question, actually, from a bit of a different angle. How can you be certain about Jesus? Now, we all know there's a kind of certainty that's brash and arrogant and self-assured, It's not very attractive. You know, know, that kind of of certainty. That's not what Luke is getting at here. That's not the kind of certainty we're, we're we're talking about. This is a bold certainty, but it's a humble boldness in this certainty. And the reason for that is this certainty has nothing to do with you. It's a certainty that's anchored outside of yourself. It's not certainty, it's not a certainty that kind of comes because you've figured it all out. You've you've cracked the code, you've done the work, you're in the driver's seat, and so you're certain. The Gospel of Jesus is a word that has come to you from outside of you. It's an announcement that's been proclaimed to you that all you've done is receive it. It's also, it's not a certainty that comes from you being just really good and worthy and you're just sort of really confident in how devoted you are and how awesome a disciple you are or something like that. No, the gospel reveals the truth about your hearts. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. The gospel levels us all before the judgment seat of God and humbles us all. It's also not a certainty that comes from the material blessings you might have. I just mentioned that because sometimes I do hear people talking in that way. I know God is real because of the blessings he's given me in my life. Uh, or he did that thing for me. But what about when those things are taken away from you? Or what about the vast majority of Christians in the world with far less material wealth who, who face far more suffering than you? What certainty can they have? It's not even a certainty based on your spiritual or emotional experiences, based on the feeling that you have of God. Now, by God's Spirit, the gospel will, has to impact you at times deeply, and we pray more and more. But what about the times when you're just not feeling it, when God might lead you through dark valleys. Where will your confidence be then? You see the key thing about this certainty Luke wants his readers to have? Wants you to have? It's a certainty that comes. It's, I mean, it's not rocket science, is it? It's a certainty that comes simply because Jesus and all he has fulfilled is true is true, really, historically. The real Jesus isn't a made-up fable. He's not a figure you can morph to suit your own agenda. He's a historic person who really lived and died and rose again, who really did ascend to heaven and is now seated at God's right hand as Lord of all, interceding for you if you are in him. Uh, and who will come again in judgment and glory. It's true. And that changes everything. Uh, Maybe you're not a Christian and you're thinking this through, thinking through this issue. How can you be certain about Jesus? How can you have any kind of certainty about this person? Uh, So We're so glad you're here or you're watching online. Um, Stick around. Get to know the real Jesus. Maybe you're a Christian, but you have doubts that rise in your minds. I think for many, doubt is a normal experience in the Christian life, not something to sort of be ashamed or worried about. The key thing is where you take your doubts, what you do with them. The the gospel is robust. Jesus can handle your doubts. Bring them to him. Come to him wherever you're at. Come to him. Come to him as we will We will do together as a church family, this term. Uh, come and hear this true story of the real Jesus recorded here by Luke. Um, painstakingly recorded from eyewitness accounts. Get to know him better, this term. Maybe even get to know him for the first time. Come to the real person of Jesus. Not just as a Interesting historical figure, but the one who brings about fulfillment, the great fulfillment of the entire universe, the great fulfillment of your life, the one who is the fulfiller of the world and of you. That's where you will find a certainty to bank your life on, to rest in and enjoy, to live for and to work for in him, in the real Jesus So let's pray and come before him now. Let me pray. Our God, we thank you that we can have this certainty, the certainty of the things that we have been taught. We thank you for Luke and the way he has so carefully put together his gospel, this great announcement of Jesus, the one who brings about this wonderful cosmic and personal fulfillment. We pray that by your Spirit, our God, you might take these truths, soften our hearts, help us to receive them for the wonderful news that they are. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.